0: What a wonderful, glorious day that it is. Our New Testament reading comes from John chapter 12. Um, We will begin in verse 12. Um, One of the things that I, I, uh, without trying to just make this into a sermon, but one of the things that I just find it so interesting is how the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying to squash what was happening in in this passage. Um, Jesus just resurrected his dear friend Lazarus, and we just see this constant, like, okay, what are we going to do? Like, you can't just resurrect a man and it not change a few things. Let's try to kill him. And we see that that didn't work. Um, And now... In this passage, we see how many people are praising him. But John loves his irony because we see at the very end, um, the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Matthew um, ends his account of uh, with Jesus proclaiming all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So I just wanted to say those few things before we get into this passage. I just it's just so great. I'm so glad to be reading this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took the branches of palm trees and went out to, him, to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, O, o daughter of Zion. Behold, the king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And our uh, sermon text is Isaiah 42, one through four. I love how all of All of today has just been so connected. Like this is just such a connected passage to everything. Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 4. Behold my servant whom I I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Sorry. Sorry. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This is the word of our living God.
1: Thank you, Josh. Thank you, music team. Don't you love that wondrous mystery song, The Whole Life of Jesus, you know? The mystery of who he is, from the incarnation to the return, everything in between. Beautiful, beautiful song. Great song for Christmas. Um, another Advent season is upon us. Very thankful to be with you. Uh, once again, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, and as always, uh, thank you to the uh, sanctuary decorators, and especially this year to the uh, folks that, uh, that did the Names of Jesus tree out there in the foyer. Man, uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And there's, there's one of them that's to add to that because we're just at the letter S, right? So that, that'll be added to But those are the little behind-the-scenes things that make a church family a church family. And, uh, and they don't go unnoticed by our Lord. And uh, so praise the Lord. Uh, praise the Lord. What a blessing. What a blessing. Uh, my goal for this Advent season <clears throat> is that each message... We'll have two parts. Uh, A continuation of our study of the names of Jesus uh, as the first half of the sermon, and a corporate pondering for Advent. Almost like two separate sermons, but please don't panic. Not lengthwise, okay? Too many sermons in one, uh, and we'll be connected, okay? Today there's a very strong connection, uh, but. Even if the connection doesn't, on the surface, look as strong, they will be connected because they will all be about Jesus, okay? So, with me, uh, first half of the sermon, continuation of our study of the names of Jesus. Second half of the sermon, what I call thoughts for Advent, possibly, hopefully, connected to that name as today really is. Uh, very, very strongly, very, very unique connection. So let's pick up where we left off last week. We were in Isaiah 42, the the text that Josh just read. And uh, I'll pray and then we'll get a quick review and finish up there and then uh, have some thoughts for Advent, first Sunday of Advent. So thankful to be here with you today and thankful that you're here. And we pray for those that are away from us. Traveling, we pray for those that are sick and recovering. And uh, so good to see Zane here. Man, what a blessing. What a blessing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. The wondrous mystery of who he is and what he's done for us. Blows us away. Glory to your name. Open our eyes a little bit wider, our spiritual eyes a little bit wider today as to who he is. Open our hearts a little bit wider today to love him a little bit more. And make us, as we behold him, a little bit more like him. Please do that, Father. Thank you so much for Christmas. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, last Sunday, uh, as we were studying Isaiah 42, the first four verses here, uh, we were uh, pondering together uh, Christ as God's servant. And we began to, to look at several aspects of Christ's servanthood. First one from verse 1a, Behold my servant whom I uphold. And we focused on that word uphold. Uh, Alternate translations are strengthen, support, hold fast. And we said as 100% man, Jesus was totally dependent upon the Father. Now, this is very deep, deep mystery for our feeble brains, at least for my feeble brain, because Jesus was also 100% God. Why does 100% God need support? Well, because he was also 100% man. Okay, so wrap your brains around that. Let them them fizzle down for a little bit, and and then God will will rebuild it, bring us back, and enable us to ponder more, okay? As the perfect human being, as the God-man, Jesus was totally dependent upon God. And the lesson for us is, based on 1 John 2, 6, We're to walk as Jesus walked. The application for us is he is the model that we strive to emulate very, very imperfectly as we strive to live a life of total dependence on God. So as God's servant, Jesus displayed dependence. Secondly, verse 1b, as God's servant, Jesus received approval. The Lord says, My chosen, or my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. God fully delighted in Jesus. We saw that expressed audibly from heaven twice in the Gospels at his baptism and at the Mount of Transfiguration. And the application for us was what are our goals in life? What are my goals? What are your goals? okay is approval from god one of them well as as god's people that should be our number one goal do we long for god to delight in us when it's all over and when this life ends do we want to hear from our creator and our redeemer well done good and faithful servant i have delighted in you and i will delight in you for all eternity wow May our lives, both individually and corporately, bring God delight. Thirdly, we saw from verse 2 that as God's servant, Jesus displayed modesty. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. In other words, Jesus was not flamboyant. He did not call attention to himself. Philippians chapter 2 says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and and made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He he was not showy. He constantly refused requests for uh, dramatic, miraculous shows in the at the before the beginning of his ministry when he was sent into the wilderness led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil that was one of the temptations hey go up on the pinnacle of the temple throw yourself down well that will be a big show because God's gonna send all these angels to to grab you before they hit the earth and man that'll that'll create a lot of attention Jesus refused to give in to that so application for us are we content to be unknown are we content to be unknown in our service are we content to live and be content in the mundane and the ordinary for the glory of God because that is the normal Christian life yes God in his grace and and kindness every now and then gives us these mountaintop glorious experiences but those are not the norm the apostles that were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, guess what? They had to return to the demon-possessed valley below, and that's where they had to live. They don't live on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's coming later. Zion is cl- coming later. The New Jerusalem is coming down like a bride prepared for a husband out of heaven. That is coming later in the new heavens and new earth. But now it's the mundane and the ordinary serving for the glory of God. Okay, that catches us up now. And here's some new stuff. A couple more aspects of this uh, Jesus as God's servant. Number four, we see in verse three a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Okay, let's focus on those first two phrases. Uh, Uh, more diligently, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So as God's servant, Jesus displayed empathy. He displayed empathy. Our Lord, and we're so thankful for this, our Lord was sympathetic and understanding to the weak and the downcast and the downtrodden. Uh, as uh, I believe it was Wayne Watson uh, sang many, many years ago back in the 80s and 90s, uh, he was the friend of the wounded heart. Remember that skit, this friend of the wounded heart skit, yes. Bless his heart, Wayne. I don't think he ended very well, but anyway, that was a great song. Jesus was the friend of the wounded heart, and he still is. Ex- examples abound in the Gospels. Uh, the woman who was caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The woman at the well with five former husbands and a current live-in partner. The woman with the bleeding issue. We could go on and on and on with these individuals. Lepers. Invalids. Those delivered from demon possession. A thief. one, One of the thieves on the cross next to him. Peter, after his denials, Peter, do you love me, Lord? You know all things. You know all things. You know my heart. You know that I love you. Then do what I've called you to do. Okay, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep. Oh no, 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 on, We could give examples of that. Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty-eight to thirty. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. That that call goes out today any bruised, reed, or broken wick that may be here today? Faintly burning wick, bruised, reed. If you're here today, hear Jesus, hear Jesus speaking to you directly. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is... This is the call of Jesus that goes out to all the bruised reeds and all the faintly burning wicks. Jesus was empathetic to the broken and the humbled, and we are thankful. But before we leave this point, I need to make a point of emphasis. Notice that Jesus, who, who Jesus was gentle to. Notice who he was tender to, who he was sympathetic, empathetic to, bruised reeds, okay, faintly burning wicks, candles of light that are are on the verge of going out, giving up. He brings comfort and healing to the brokenhearted and the downcast. But Jesus was also the perfectly balanced human being, right? 100% man, perfectly balanced. What else does he do? To those who lead little ones astray, he says this in Matthew 18, verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fashioned around his neck, fastened around his neck, And to be drowned in the depth of the sea. We must remember who Jesus was empathetic to the lowly, the broken, the downhearted, but not to the arrogant and proud. Let's please make sure we understand that. Because I I fear that the church of Jesus Christ is tilting out of balance toward the empathy in a lot of cases. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay. The humble, that's the bruised reed, and the faintly burning wick, they get grace. The proud get divine opposition so dear church family let me attempt to speak as as clearly as I can I do not believe the Bible or Jesus calls us to empathize with those who ridicule and trash our biblical views and label us bigots or haters, because we won't approve of their unbiblical and anti-God views. I don't believe Jesus empathizes with those people, nor does the Bible call us as his followers to empathize with them as well. I believe I'm instructed to call them out. James 4, 6 says to oppose them. The word means to be against To express opposition to, unapologetically, uncompromisingly. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Meanings of that word, rebuke, refute, sternly admonish. Not to play footsie with them, not to sympathize with them, not to empathize with them. They are not the bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks. A couple of weeks ago, I sent you an article by Kevin DeYoung that issued warnings for us to consider regarding the unbiblical toleration of unbiblical sexual issues. I hope you read that article. If you haven't read that yet, you really need to. He ends with this ominous statement where orthodoxy is optional. Orthodoxy meaning right belief about basic things. Where orthodoxy is optional Orthodoxy will sooner or later be outlawed. Please read the article if you haven't. So to sum up, as God's servant, Jesus shows empathy to those who are broken in their fallen condition to those who are proud and rebellious in their fallen condition and arrogantly lead others away from God, he demonstrates opposition, stern opposition of eternal consequences like millstones around your neck. May the church of Jesus Christ never, ever forget that and may we follow our lord's lead in this one more aspect of jesus as god's servant verse four he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth as god's servant jesus displayed optimism optimism Jesus was undiscourageable. He had an undiscourageable spirit. He was not weighed down by negativity. I love what he says in John 16:33 to his disciples. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Yeah, it's coming. You will have it. It'll be rough it'll be hard you will be tempted to despair you will be tempted to give up but take heart i have overcome the world i've overcome the world take heart church family take heart people of god we win jesus has overcome the world no matter how bad it looks No matter how gross it gets, Jesus has overcome the fallen world. I think of it, for sake of time, I'll I'll only share two classic examples from the Scriptures. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. From the Old Testament, recall the account of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Remember, the enemy army is surrounding Israel. They're all wimping out, like they do a lot, and Gideon is threshing wheat in a cellar, in a wine cellar. He's hiding his wheat, hiding himself. He doesn't want to be seen at the normal place you thresh wheat. So he's down in the wine cellar threshing wheat. And Judges, Judges 6.12 says, And the angel of the Lord, now who's that from the letter A? Who's that? The, the angel of the Lord. Most, it's probably Jesus. Okay, probably Jesus. I wouldn't bet money on it, but that's where I lean. That's where I heavily lean. That's where most commentators lean. probably a pre-incarnate appearance of the undiscourageable one, Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him. Now, remember what he's doing. He's hiding. He's wimping out. He's down in the cellar. And the angel of the Lord, probably Jesus, says... The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Don't you love that? I just love that. I love that. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And I can expect, I can't wait to talk to Gideon about this when we get to glory, but I can expect Gideon, he probably looks behind him to see if he's talking to somebody else. O mighty man of valor. Don't be discouraged, Gideon. The Lord is with you, and in him you will defeat these enemies. Man, I love it. From the New Testament, what he mentioned, the woman caught in adultery. She's dragged out in front of Jesus. My question is, where's the guy? Come on. Where's where's the man? Takes two to do this, doesn't it? She's dragged out in front of Jesus, broken, bruised reed. candle of a life about to flicker out Jesus says looking at the crowd okay you got who's who's ever without sin perfect first perfect person you cast the first stone perfect person cast the first stone you without sin cast the first stone and there's probably some silence and and then all you can hear is a bunch of rocks thud, thudding onto the ground not on her body on the ground at the feet of the would-be throwers and they walk away Jesus looks at this bruised reed, this faintly burning wick and says, who condemns you? and in verse 11 she said, no one Lord and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you go, and from now on Sin no more. That's the encouraging part, right? Yeah, it's it's encouraging to be forgiven. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Let's, Let's please remember that. He doesn't leave it there. Go and sin no more. Don't do this anymore. So, in a web application, the question for us is are, are we easily discouraged? Are we pessimistic? Are we always looking on the dark side? Are we, are we weighed down with this constant negative attitude, looking for every little thing to complain about? Well, take heart brother and sister take heart your savior your king your serpent crusher the one who lives inside of you and will never leave nor forsake you has overcome the world and that includes negative sinful attitudes he is in the business of encouraging scared to death hiders in wine cellars like Gideon to get back in the battle. He has over and over again encouraged broken, sinful adulterers like that woman to get back into life and sin no more in his power. Beloved, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loves us. I I really don't give a rip what's going on around the world. You say, well, but you're sure to talk about it a lot. Well, you need to know. We need to know. We need to understand the times. Okay? But the times do not discourage me. Because I got Jesus on my side. And so do you. So endure, beloved. Run the race. Fasten your gaze on Jesus and run the race. Even if it's a plod, even if it's a jalk, even, even if you can barely move, put that foot, that one foot in front of the other and keep moving. Fight the fight. We win because Jesus has won. He's overcome the world. As we have sung together recently, we're fighting battles. Guess what? He's already won. Yeah, there are a lot of times we don't know what he's doing, right? We don't know what he's doing. But we know what he's done. The wondrous mystery. We know what he's already done. It's finished. That's what counts. So be encouraged, beloved. Be encouraged and press on. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, the encouragement of this book, we might have hope. Yeah, plenty of time for Advent thoughts. Here we go. Thoughts, here, here's, 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 a, here's what I want you to ponder for this first Sunday of Advent. We've been talking about Jesus as God's servant. Okay, what were some of the results of that servanthood? So with the the title servant fresh on our mind, consider this text from Romans 15. Beginning at verse 8, verses 8 to 12. Romans 15, verses 8 to 12. For I tell you that Christ became a servant. There's our title. For today Christ became a servant to the circumcised who's that Israel okay to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order purpose clause right in order to here's right, here's why Christ became a servant in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs promise promise that's a good Christmas word right that's a good advent word okay And in order, another purpose clause, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written. And then Paul does what he does often in his New Testament writings. He goes to the Old Testament to back up what he's just said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he goes to previously inspired words from the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament writers and says, Look, this is really nothing new. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Okay, let's, let's examine this passage, okay? Let's ponder this together. First of all, let's note this. It is significant that Paul used the title Christ in verse 8 rather than Jesus. That's very significant. Don't miss that. Why? Because it would not have been a big deal for a Jewish carpenter named Jesus. Remember when we studied that name? Very common name, very common name. means It means Joshua, okay? Very common name for a Hebrew boy, okay? It would not have been a big deal for a Jewish carpenter named Jesus to serve his fellow Israelites. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know Jesus. Yeah, he's always serving us. Man, he's made some great uh, 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 shelves and uh, Uh, put a nice little deck on the back of our adobe there. And uh, yeah, we, we we know Jesus. Yeah, he's a great servant. See, that wouldn't have been a big deal. But for Christ, remember, that's not a last name. It's a title. The Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. For that person to become a servant, well, that's quite different. That's quite different, and that would grab a Jewish reader's attention. So that's the first thing to note. Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, became a servant. What? What? I thought he was a king. Yeah, he's that. But he's also a servant. Christ became a servant. And in this text, we see two results of that servanthood. Number one, in verse 8, God's promises are confirmed read it again. Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's Israel, to show God's truthfulness, to show that God was telling the truth in order, purpose clause, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Remember the patriarchs? Abraham, Moses, all those guys, okay, Joseph, all those guys. Christ became a servant to show that God was telling the truth when he made all those promises. What does 2 Corinthians 1.20 say? All of God's promises are yes in Christ. Promise of New life, yes, in Jesus. Promise of a new covenant, yes, in Jesus. Promise of new heavens, new, yes, in Jesus. Promise that the serpent's head will be crushed, yes, in Jesus. All of God's promises are yes, in Christ. And this is the heartbeat of Christmas. And the, co- the covenant promises made to God's Old Testament people, primarily Jews, okay, And then you had some God-worshippers every now and then thrown in there with the Jews. But primarily to the Jews, starting with Abraham. But even beginning before that, with Adam and Noah, okay? All those promises are confirmed and fulfilled in Jesus. Consider these promises. Genesis 2.15. To the serpent in Adam's hearing, he, the seed of the woman, the Messiah, shall bruise your head. The first gospel proclamation genesis 6 18 to noah i will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark well what's the ark we know what the ark is the ark is not is more than just a wooden boat it's a picture it's a shadowy promise of jesus our ark when we are placed in him in salvation we are saved from god's impending wrath which is coming Genesis twelve three, God's promise to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, whoa, what catches your attention there? All the families, not just the Jewish families. Okay, so we get a hint right there of result number two, which we're fixing to talk about. Okay, uh, 2 Samuel 7, 16, to David, your throne shall be established forever. And this is later confirmed to David's son, Solomon, in 1 Kings 9, 5. You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And King Jesus fulfills that promise. For he is David's greater son who will forever rule and reign. Wow. Listen to Isaiah 9. Great Christmas verse, right? Verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. Watch, there shall be no end. No end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. No end to that. There will always be a ruler on the throne of David the kingdom of God and that ruler is none other than God's servant Jesus the Christ there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore forevermore And then you got Jeremiah 31, 34, the promise of the new covenant. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Well, how does that promise confirm? Well, when Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus, our Savior, confirms this promise by taking our place on the cross and dying for our sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. What a Savior is Christ our Lord. The fulfillment and confirmation of all of God's promises. All of God's promises are yes in Christ. So the first result of Christ's servanthood is that all of God's promises are confirmed. Now let's consider the second result of Christ's servanthood. Gentile people are saved. Christ became a servant, verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. But Butcher doesn't say Gentiles get saved. Who glorifies God? Okay? Who, who glorifies God? Only saved people. Only saved people glorify God, right? Gentiles get saved because of Christ's servanthood. Because he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Which included the lost sheep of Israel. And the Gentiles. Are we glad or what? Are we glad or what? I, I don't know. I think I know my church family. I don't know any former Jewish people. Okay, we're all Gentiles, I think. I think. I'm pretty sure about that. This is, this is glorious good news. Glorious good news. Gentiles are included in God's redemptive plan. They're included in the program. The gospel is taken to all the nations, all ethnic groups, and all types of people, as John puts it in Revelation 5, all peoples, tongues, tribes, and nations. The kingdom is open to those who are not Jewish. Thomas Schreiner writes, Christ's purpose in coming then was not only to certify the promises to the Jews, but also to include the Gentiles in the circle of His mercy. Hallelujah. He goes on to say, verses 8 to 12 of Romans 15 reveal that the inclusion of Jews and Gentiles together in the church fulfills God's covenantal promises given to Abraham and David. Again, we know with certainty that the text is saying this because only saved people can glorify God and only saved people receive mercy. The Gentiles glorified God for his mercy. That describes saved people. And this was not an innovation or something new. God had promised it to Abraham saying that he would be the father of many nations not just a Jewish nation but Gentile nations as well in you all the families all the families of the earth shall be blessed Dr. John MacArthur commented on that writes this to illustrate that it has always been God's plan to bring Gentile and Jew alike into his kingdom Paul cites passages from the Old Testament they obviously were given to soften the prejudice of Christian Jews against Christian Gentiles by demonstrating from their own scriptures, from Jewish writings, okay? The Old Testament, that the inclusion of Gentiles was neither a divine nor a human afterthought. No, it's always been the plan. It's always been the plan. Are we glad or what? Are we thankful or what in other words Jews and Gentiles living and worshiping together in the church was God's plan from the foundation of the world and if you know Romans if you we study Romans many many years ago but if, you, if you're familiar with it you know that the inserting of this teaching by Paul is very fitting because what has he just done in, in Romans 14 he's written about unity among believers in gray areas, in areas of disagreement. He's just written about that. So don't you think it's pretty fitting to bring in this point here at the conclusion of a discussion on unity among believers? I mean, if Jews and Gentiles can get together and can get along, anybody should be able to. Anybody should be able to. Jews and Gentiles can do it. Yeah. Throughout the letter of Romans, Paul emphasized that truth, right? Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the Gentile. Romans 3.29 and 30, or is God the God of Jews only? Rhetorical question. Answer being no. Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Circumcised being Jew, uncircumcised being Gentile. And then In Romans 9-11, through 11, that, those whole three chapters are pretty much a study. Uh, the, the main thrust of those three chapters is an explanation of of how Jews and Gentiles will ultimately come together in God's kingdom by his sovereign grace alone. So, it was always God's plan to save both Jew and Gentile. Christ's servanthood to both groups demonstrates that. And on this first Sunday of Advent, it is at the heart of the glorious message of Christmas, right? Luke 2.10, and the angel said to those shepherds, those awestruck shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all the people, not just the Jewish people, all the people. And then Luke chapter 2, Later on in the same chapter, when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, they bring their infant son to the temple to to present him to the Lord. Remember what happened there. An old guy named Simeon took him up in his arms, verse 28 says, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant Depart in peace according to your word, the promise, according to your promise. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Here's a Jew mentioning the Gentiles first. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Both groups. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, verses 9 to 12 of Romans 15, Paul does what he often does. He cites Old Testament scripture to prove or undergird or bolster his point. The texts cited confirm that Gentiles were always going to be a part of God's people along with the Jews. Note the, prog- the progression of the text is interesting. Note the progression of the individual text as pointed out by James Montgomery Boyce in his great commentary on Romans. Verse 9 is quoting Psalm 1849, and David is worshiping among the Gentiles, okay? So David is, is just among the Gentiles. He's worshiping. He's being an example of a worship of a true God among Gentile people. Then in verse 10, which alludes to Deuteronomy 32, 43, the Gentiles are exhorted to worship with Israel. Okay? So it begins with David being an example of a worshiper of a God among Gentile people. And then the next step, okay, Gentiles, join in. Worship with David, worship with Israel. Then verse 11, third step, quoting Psalm 117, one, Gentiles are urged to worship God, watch this, by themselves, without David, without any Israelite, by themselves. And then verse 12, which alludes to Isaiah eleven ten, the Gentiles are ruled by the root of Jesse, which is Jesus. We didn't study root, we studied branch, similar, okay, Root of Jesse, another title for Jesus. The Gentiles are ruled by the root of Jesse, and they find their hope in him. In other words, he is their Lord, and they are his people. Or as Paul, as Paul has said in this text, Christ came and became a servant. He laid down his life in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. In, order, in other words, in order that he might be their God, he might be their ruler, They're king, and they might be his people. Praise his name, fellow Gentiles. Are we thankful or what? Hallelujah. There is hope for Gentiles like us because of Christmas. In fact, there's hope for every type of person because Jesus is the Savior of the world and not just the Savior of the Jews. In fact, let's go deeper with that fact. He is our only hope. He is our only hope for true, abundant, thriving, god honoring life. Think about it. think about it you know, i'm 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 sensing Peter here where, where Everybody was leaving Jesus and Jesus said, you guys, you guys gonna leave too? And Lord, where where else would we go? Your only hope. Your only hope. Now just drill down on that. Let's think about it. Government's not gonna do it, right? You think government's gonna do it? You find your hope in government? government's not going to do it. That's very clear. It's a bloated monstrosity. It's over $31 trillion of debt with unelected bureaucrats who try to run our lives in a very partisan two-tier justice system. It's, it's not going to do it. There's no hope in government. Education. What about that? Education? Find your hope in education? No, not going to do it, gang. ultimately, ultimately, The domination of the public education system by the anti-God crowd is one of the reasons our society is in the shape it's in. Not going to do it. No hope there. Science, science are going to do it. Really, science. Science is going to do it. Think science is going to do it. Find hope in science, really. The, The people who constantly lecture us to follow the science... Are the same people that tell us that men can be women and women can be men. (laughs) There's no hope in science. Elections. You think elections are going to do it? Our last election was very clarifying, wasn't it? There's no hope in elections. That doesn't mean I'm not going to tell you to keep voting. It's a wonderful right of american citizenship a citizenship which by the way is temporary it ends when you leave this planet and secondary to our citizenship in the kingdom of god so yeah vote but don't find don't find your hope in elections this last one showed us that too too many people too many we've reached a tipping point i'm afraid too many people especially members of our younger generations who will be our future leaders Are okay with massive inflation, dependence on foreign countries for energy, and a nation in obvious decline, as long as we can keep defying God's created order regarding marriage and sexuality and the sanctity of life with government sanction and protection. So, no, elections aren't going to do it. There's no hope there. I fully agree with Andrew Walker in World Magazine. When he wrote, I know our view, our view, the biblical view, the biblical view, the Christian view. I know our view may be an electoral loser for now. I do not care. And I don't either. I don't either. I do not care. And then he goes on to say, a nation that jettisons The created order is not a nation that elections or pluralism can heal. We're beyond elections, I'm I'm afraid. So what's the answer? What's the answer? As we've already said, the answer is not to get discouraged. That's not the answer. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. Our Lord has overcome the world. So the answer is not to get down and discouraged and mopey-dopey. That's not the answer. The answer is basically this, revival or bust. Revival or bust. Bring revival, Lord. Change everybody's hearts that's voting for all these weird things. Bring revival. Change hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Rend the heavens and come down. Revival or bust. Or, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Revival or our King's return. Those are the only two viable answers. Now, Either way, we win. Either way. I truly believe. Go on record. Put it on the record. November 27, 2022. The only answer for our nation, the only solution, revival or Jesus' return. Either way, we win. And by we, please know who I, what I mean by we. By we, I mean all born-again people. Not just all churchgoers, sadly. I believe the church is massively failing our nation right now. In general. Generally speaking. Not speaking out against ungodliness. Melting to it in general, generally. I just want to be a pocket of light. I, I, I want our season to be just a little point of light. I, I'm thankful we're on YouTube. I'm thankful. Revival or Jesus' return, either way, we win. And we are all born-again people true christians and that means that there is a sad and scary downside to our lord's return on this side of glory a sadness that will be wiped away as soon as we get to heaven right every tear will be wiped away but in this life there's a sad and scary downside to that and that is the fact that many people that we love and care about are not yet saved If Jesus would come in the next hour, they would miss heaven. They would miss it. So we're begging God to save them. We're begging God for revival. Because Jesus could come at any time. (sighs) Final word today goes to one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg. As Shakespeare reminds us, and I believe this was from Julius Caesar, it's been a long time since I read this stuff. <laughs> As Shakespeare reminds us, there is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads to fortune. And then Beg goes on to say, this is arguably such a time. Our world is upside down. And neither politics, nor science, nor education, even taken together, are able to provide an answer. End quote. But the good news is, God has provided the answer. His name is Jesus. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Him, all things hold together. He is the only one with the words of eternal life. Only in Him can we withstand the flood of evil that exists in our day. He has turned the world right side up for so many bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks. And one day he will return and make the whole world right in the new heavens and new earth. As Paul told us in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, at just the perfect time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption. As sons. So Merry Christmas church family. I pray you have a happy. And a healthy. Advent season. Let's pray. God thank you for Jesus. The answer to everything. Bless our time at this blessed table now. In his name we pray. Amen.